All right, Zig coming in at the top. Today on the show, we have Pete Francis. You might know him from Dispatch or his solo work, maybe his work with uh, Barefoot Truth. Pete is a singer-songwriter whose career has held no bounds to genre, a trait that was seen with his work with Dispatch, who was a multi-genre band. Dispatch being also one of the biggest independent bands who, for their breakup show, had a free concert that brought over 100,000 people. Pete is an artist in every sense of the word, not shying away from any musical expression He'll go from a funk track to a folk track to a, a rap track, a rock track, without any fear of breaking what he's known for, but fully embracing expression in a uniquely Pete way. After talking with Pete and seeing how much he loves the creation process and makes so much sense looking at his career and seeing all these different creative choices, because here's someone who just loves to make music, every aspect of it, even the the beauty of the simple. And that's kind of, this conversation gets fairly philosophical. And we really get into the idea of the creation process. Pete has a new EP coming out. It's called Sun Fuzz. It comes out the 14th of May. Um, today is the 12th. So that's coming out on Friday. All streaming platforms. Do you hear that? Those are noodle purrs. Everybody knows here at Zig at the Gig when we have a Zig at the Gig exclusive, we queue up the noodle purrs. So we have an exclusive sample sneak peek at Sun Fuzz. Check it out. Right. All right. That is our sneak peek at Sun Fuzz. It comes out Friday the 14th on all streaming platforms. Um, the tracks we played were Sun Fuzz, the beginning chunk of it, the intro to uh, The World Goes On, and Can't Tame a Lion, the outro, which is wicked. These were specific choices because we talk about them in the conversation. So now there's context. Um, Pete has an EP that's already out. Uh, it's called Humble Down. It takes more of a singer-songwriter laid-back approach. We're going to listen to the song Can't Go On from Humble Down. After me, and the waves I 
Can't go on off the EP Humble Down out now. Um, you heard a female voice on that. That was Katie, Pete's wife. Katie and Pete have this really rad art collective called Dragon Crest Collective, where they get all these different artists together and work on projects. You can follow them on Instagram and Facebook. They have some rad stuff cooking there. Um, many of you guys that know me know that Dispatch is a big deal to me. So this was a really uh, incredible honor to chat with Pete for as long as we got to chat. I'm super excited to share this conversation with you, but before that, um, this podcast is mixed by Jay Sparrow from Studio 44 Cleveland. Studio 44 Cleveland, for any of your audio, streamed, and video needs, you can contact Jay from studio44cleveland at gmail.com or studio44thenumbers at Facebook. Also, if you can rate, review, comment, and share the podcast on all the podcasting platforms. It helps me keep talking to inspiring guests like Pete and sharing that inspiration with you. And if you can give us a like on the social medias like YouTube, Twitter, um, Instagram, and Facebook, that also helps. One more thing before we get into it. Pete is uh, co-teaching a songwriting course at Middlebury College in 2021. 
And we kind of come in on that. So many of you guys know my backstory. I'm a full-time musician playing a band called C-Level, letter C dash. And I'm also a music teacher. So this interview starts off with teaching music. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Pete Francis. Yeah, I'm actually, um, this year I'm teaching a songwriting class. I saw that. Um, yeah, at Middlebury College where, where I went to school. And it's funny because it's with the teacher I had. I yeah. met her in, yeah, in 1994. Yeah. Um, but we became close and, and she's really, her name's Sue Leon Tan. And she's just a, just amazing how she speaks to the students and in, in a very positive way. And, and so I've been kind of learning from her and, but I've always loved so- talking about, you know, song construction and how, how songs come together or how they can be made better. So that's, it's been really fun for me. Awesome. Yeah. I saw that uh, in your bio. I'm like, man, I, I haven't wanted to go back to college for continuing ed until I read that. I'm like, that'd be a sick course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's fun, man. And, you know, you'd, you'd be really impressed with some of these, I guess they range from 19 to 21. Some are just, well, they're all talented in their own way, but it's, some really have some really great lyrics and great voices. So, uh, so far I'm really enjoying it. Now, do you think, uh, just to kind of dive into that, do you think like um, when you're younger, there's like more of this like fountain of creativity in like, as you uh, work on your craft, you have to work harder to get to that like spot of like effortless yeah. effortlessness. I think there's some truth to that, you know, because um, maybe when you're you're coming out of high school, and maybe in high school for me, I always loved poetry. So early on, eighth or ninth grade, we had a poetry assignment, whether it was maybe Robert Frost or. I don't know if you remember that Irish poet Seamus Heaney. Seamus yeah. Heaney won the yeah he won the Nobel Prize. So I think early on I I had interest in that, but there may be when I think when we start creating thoughts may come up, and that editor that maybe you know gains steam as we progress as creative people yeah. um, maybe gets a bit stronger. So if I were to speak for myself, I think some early songs like Mayday and um, maybe a couple other words that, that I writ, uh, wrote in high school. And then I remember saying, wow, you know, I like I like just making up songs. And so one thing I talk to the kids about is I say, try to let ideas come out, you know, and try to let these things without saying, well, I don't know if I like that or what does that mean? And I think it's like playing catch, you know, mm-hmm. soon the glove breaks in a little and you say you're throwing it to your friend on the yard. And, you know, after a while, you're like, I'm playing catch, you know, and my, my glove is broken in and my arm is pretty decent. And that's why I think in some ways, that getting the creative process rolling sort of takes time like that. And some yeah. people may say that, well, well, how does that just come magically out of nowhere? And it is true that I think ideas, small ideas, and, and I talked to the students about fragments. I don't know. And you're teaching if you think about this, but you, you may say, Hey, I have this fragment, this idea, 
And if I kind of link it on to that, you know, it's almost like Legos or, or a jigsaw puzzle. Like, you, you know, you can't complete the puzzle until you start putting a few pieces together. Right. And so I think that that is, um, I think some people can maybe be a little hard on themselves at the beginning and say, oh, I can't really write a good song, right? You know, I just don't know if I, and I would just say, you know, it's, it's, it's important to have patience. It's very important to have patience for yourself um, as you're creating and really not to be, try to be too judgmental. And I bet you'd be the first to tell me that these <laughs> children and, and autistic children and children that you see um, you may say ideas pop out and you're like, where the heck did that come from? You know, <laughs> yeah. that was just straight up brilliant. It's crazy, right? It's crazy that, that the little spark of like, um, uh, inspiration that means nothing can mean something to someone else's puzzle they're trying to figure out or like something yeah. that you thought upon and like expands. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, I think that was a really good, uh, analogy for it. Because uh, I think creativity is something you have to practice to some degree, and like how you're yes. the baseball analogy, you have to like, yeah. get used to get used to, to, to accepting what you got and trying to make it, and then being okay with like, man, we don't record that one, but I did that right. I wrote exactly. that down. Yeah, and I, there's a certain confidence that some people can sort of say, "This is me." You know, and yeah. think of think of like Lou Reed and Walk on the Wild Side, that song. And, you know, we hear that. We still hear that song on the radio. And I say to myself, all right, like he's not singing. Right. He's not singing that. So you can't really say that he's a singer. And but what is it about the arrangement, the upright bass, you know? Yeah, the other the, bass. The, the like thing, that. the bass, remember the <laughs> bass and then the like the snare thing that's going on and, and, and the women, the soul singers. Right. So that's where I think we come back to that idea of construction without being too judgmental on either even yourself or even someone else. And for all my years of being in a band, um, and maybe you can relate to this too, working with other people, people's, People are very sensitive yeah. and, and we, we have our egos and we want to protect them. Um, but I think part of becoming a, a good, you know, becoming creatively aware is you say, okay, what, what's going on here? What, what does he want? What can I give him? You know, it's, it's not as much about taking away from people as it is giving. Right. Um, and you don't always need to give them everything. But it is like to say, hey, man, you know, that bass part is cool. Would you consider kind of these long whole football notes instead of that other part? And <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And with all my work with dispatch, I think, I mean, we're starting when we're 18, 19. So you can imagine everybody's right. sensitive and on their toes with everything. And then maybe as time went on, we say, all right, that's Pete. You know, that's Brad. And, and even... Now with my solo work, I say, okay, that's that engineer. I know he does that. I, I don't need to push him too too much on that. So my, my point is, I guess, talking about Lou Reed and these other things, that we're looking at the whole right. rather than just saying, well, Lou Reed's voice, I don't know. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and for you, I think taking on autistic kids, you must be very good at saying you're looking at people's strengths, right? You're not you're not like, well, he can't do that. And right. He can't do that. No. You know what I mean? You're like <laughs> that guy. That kid's talented, man. Right. You know? Well, it's it's kind of a it's a weird um, a lesson I've learned from a, an early guitar teacher. His name's George Hartwig. He said, because uh, I started by going to open mic nights, right? And the whole thing was he would walk over and be like, now tell me three good things about this guy before you say one bad. And like, <laughs> in but that lesson stuck with me and like seeing everyone's strengths and trying to work towards that, towards that and, and uh, build upon that is such, I think, an important skill set. And I imagine like yeah. from your experience working with like if – well, let's let's kind of step back and go like, so you started writing poetry, and like let's kind of build the narrative. You started writing poetry. When did uh when did soccer ruin the game and make music <laughs> a thing? Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because I just was <laughs> watching my eight year old daughter playing soccer. Oh no! And being flooded with all these memories. Soccer was. I really loved soccer, and I saw a black and white video of the famous Pelé. Yeah. playing soccer, the Brazilian star. And for whatever reason, I really related to him. I just thought, I don't know. I mean, they talk about poetry in sports, right? And right. you talk about some sort of elegance that Michael Jordan flying through the air is just becomes this almost artistic, you know, magical experience. So early on, I think I was sort of taken by not only his playing, but his aura. He had a beautiful smile and he was just kind of an amazing athlete. I think at, at the time, maybe in the 70s, I, it, it was probably him and Muhammad Ali who were kind of the most famous athletes in the world. Um, I also saw, I'm not sure if you know, but there was a team called the Cosmos that were in, I guess they played in Giant Stadium. But around that time, soccer really boomed in the US. Now, I wasn't, you know, this was before my time, but I still loved it. And you rem you may remember Diego Maradona was a very famous um, Argentinian player. So soccer to me had this, I don't know what it was. It was something that, you know, there's, I know we talk about it as a game, but I also saw it as something mystical, you know, that you could move like this and it would, it'd be quite beautiful. So I really played soccer through, you know, middle school and uh, and high school, and I was the captain of the team. Nice. And you know, I was just <laughs> putting in the. Work. I love the team, man. You know, I love. I'll tell you, man. Some of the my favorite trips were in the van um, yeah. to the game, and you probably know about the, you know that camaraderie with right. with your friends, right. and I just miss that even to this day. Like I I love that, and it's funny just to skip ahead to correlate being in the van with the band was a similar experience because in a way these gigs were also like games, you right. know, because our job was to win the people. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was, you know, it's a similar Brad, Chad and I are all athletes. So we, I think inherently understood that. Um, but soccer had a big role for me. And then maybe I was 16, I got in a, a guitar, and I'm the youngest of four by a lot. So one brother yeah. seven years older, one's oh. 10 years older, and then oh. my sister's 12 years older. 
Um, but I was very, I listened to all their music. So out of one brother's room was Pink Floyd. Out of another brother's room was James Brown. My sister listened to Joni Mitchell and Ricky Lee Jones and, you know, Paul Simon, James Taylor, Fleetwood Mac. And so I really, I, I really just as a kid, I remember being like, you know, five or six playing with wooden blocks on the stairs and hearing that music coming from all the bedrooms. And I think I just loved it inherently for, from the very beginning. And they had albums of vinyl. So I remember holding like, um, Wish You Were Here and that record cover, that wild one where one dude's on fire. Right. And I'm like, what shaking is this? Hands. You know, yeah. Like, yeah, shaking hands, you know? So, and of course, my brothers and sister would show movies that I probably wouldn't have been, shouldn't have been watching Mad Max and movies. And they're all, and they were all kind of creative artists themselves. Yeah. And yeah, my, my sister was a, an actress and a dancer. My other brother was, Eric was a filmmaker. And then my cool brother who <laughs> would drive motorcycles and, and, you know, ride, you know, hang out with pretty girls and all that. His name is Leif. I'm half Swedish. So, um, Leif is a Swedish name. Okay. And he was the cool brother in the band. And man, he was just so cool. Like he never paid any attention to me, you know, like, but I always like, where's he going? What's he doing? Maybe he'll take me, you know, maybe yeah, yeah. he'll take me to band practice and, you know, being like, I don't know, 12 or 13 and, you know, seeing older guys and it was a different time then, you know, drinking and whatever and doing their thing. But I think it planted seeds in me in a way because I, I saw that I liked what the a band was about. Right. Was he a guitar player? Was he a bass? He was a bass player. Okay. Yeah, and he loved Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So <laughs> I got sick. to know about Flea even before Blood Sugar Sex Magic came out, like Uplift, Mofo, Party Plan, and Mother's Milk. Like right. So I started to know about the Red Hot Chili Peppers then, and Leif knew about it. And I just thought Flea was a very sort of philosophical bass player, you know? Right. Well, he was, he was a listen to those guys talk listen to flea describe a, a gig it's the most yeah. beautiful sounding um, answer to a normal question yes he's very he's a real artist i think and 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 he and anthony and then of course john frushanti right i i just thought they were always particularly john frushanti as from my perspective as a guitar player i thought he was a real original you know but so, yeah, man, that that was the beginning of soccer into sorry, gets water. <laughs> soccer into um, music. I had, and then I had these terrible ankle injuries, man. I I I, I had two operations on my right foot, Fine. and one operation on my left. And this is just in the matter of being nineteen to twenty. I literally spent most of my freshman year in Middlebury on crutches. I got so good at crutches, I didn't even have to use my feet. I could just walk on the crutches, and I got pretty strong upper body. Right. And in that year, I met Brad and Chad separately. Right. Um, with the the, you you were in separate bands with them, right? Yeah. So, Brad and I. Um, that's the thing. I, I think one part that you should you know maybe know about me is that I've always been willing to go up to people and say. 
do you want to try this? Do you want to do this? And I didn't even, I couldn't, I played a guitar okay. And I didn't even know that many cover songs, but I have a few of my songs. And I thought, I'm going to go to this guy, Brad, who I just met. And this was in maybe January of 1995. And I went over to his dorm room. He was two years older than me. I just said, I have a song. I said, you want to hear it? <laughs> and he said, sure. And then a few people that heard it and then heard him and me singing came into the room. Mm. And we sang. And I have to tell you, man, it was like, it was really beautiful because the two voices together. And I think it's important for people to know, and many may know that, you know, Brad has sort of an innate understanding of harmony that is kind of like no one I've met. He just, I don't know. He he doesn't even think about it. He could sing beautiful harmonies, you know? Right. And that was, and that was that night. And I think we became friends. Wow. Um, and then the other time was that Chad, um, he was a Feb, and that means that the students arrive, arrive in February. Mm. He spent the fall in Zimbabwe, so he was not he was eighteen in Zimbabwe. And here was this guy who came. I I didn't know many kids that would do dreadlocks and right. the hair, and, <laughs> and they, you know he yeah. He had his own thing going. He wore he wore blue overalls. He rarely wore shoes, and um, his acoustic guitar had four strings on it, <laughs> and it wasn't really in tune. Um, but he he and I became we became good friends, and the story with sort of one fell swoop, and before that we had the name Woodward Bandits. We even had the name Silas. Yeah. Um, yeah, Brad was a little bit hesitant to play with Chad, and I think the three of us as people pretty different. But I think I pushed for it, and I and I said, "Hey, why don't we why don't we try to be a band?" And we went one one night down to the concert hall. Middlebury has a beautiful concert hall, beautiful. And back then, you know you could sneak in and we, we, we knew how to click the door open to get into the concert hall. That's so popular. And we went, yeah, we, we, we <laughs> went with our two or three acoustic guitars and play. I think we all realized that night that when the three voices came together, that was, it was very special. There is, And then after that, man, it was just, it was just playing. That's amazing. There's definitely like, so neurologically, when you sing with somebody, your brain releases a chemical called oxytocin, right? Right. And right. do you know about this? Have you? Well, tell me. Tell okay. me. I don't. I don't. But it's it only comes out with um, uh, key key emotional factors in life, like mm. when you're in love with somebody or or mm. when you have that family bond. And another time it happens is when you sing together, and like. I've listened to a, you know, I've done a, quite a, a bit of research before talking to you today, and everyone says that 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 moment you guys all sang together, that was when you knew this was going to go somewhere, and like because those harmonies are tight. It's in listen, yeah, they're listen, tight, yeah. Listen to like um, a live track like uh, Steeples off um, Gut the Van. Mm-hmm. Like when you guys do that scat thing, <laughs> like. That was, I remember hearing that for the first time and being, 
people I've never heard improv with a heart like a, a trio doing harmonies. This is insane. So to get to that level, you know, and even like um with the there's some videos of you guys just joking around, like making up songs like a something about a pig, fat old pig or whatever, and you guys, right, right, it sounds right, beautiful. Right. It's <laughs> it sounds like a legit thought out song, but it clearly it has to be joking around and just practicing like that and just being able to uh, feel each other's or hear each other's spots. Vocally. Yeah, I think there was a lot of that. You know, I mean, we were we were still growing as musicians. Right. You know, we were we were really kind of beginners. And Brad wasn't. Brad had really good rhythm, but he he really started off playing drums like around twenty. That's amazing. And um, he just had great rhythm. I think he watched drummers a lot. He really liked the drummer from the Samples Jeep, who was that amazing uh, kind of like a Stuart Copeland with yeah. that beautiful hi hat work and and reggae drumming. Um, and then of course Carter Beaufort. He he loved his drumming. I'm the Dave Matthews drummer. And um, yeah, so there was, this is kind of back to our theme, what we're talking about kind of holding together the team. I mean, we didn't really have a star in the band and, and we were all, we were working off each other. And right. when you're talking about that kind of vocal improv or, you know, Brad was a good beatboxer. So we'd beatbox and there was, <laughs> You know, it was, <laughs> I mean, that's that other thing where it's kind of fun to laugh at yourself and it's kind of fun right. not to take things too seriously, but you can't always do it. Yeah. You got to make were some definitely, Yeah. You got to make <laughs> some serious, but some decisions, but <laughs> we definitely, we had a lot of fun with the, with that kind of, you know, there was a, there was a frat house in like you in Duke. And it said, you could play, but you got to play some good covers. And so we were like, well, well, what do we like? And we're like, okay, well, we all love the Chili Peppers. And we love the Beastie Boys. And so when that record, Check Your Head, came out from the Beastie Boys, we thought, whoa, here these guys are. Not only can they rap, but now they're playing live instruments. Yeah. And that, and that really struck a chord with us. And we thought okay, we, we, let's do some funk jams and let's do some rap. And, and we, we learned the Beastie Boys song, Root Down. Right, okay. You kick your root down, I yeah. kick your root down. And I think we did, might have done a cover of it. Um, but that really, I think that opened us up because we said, all right, you know, the acoustic thing's cool. We got teased a little bit at Middlebury and they called us the Indigo Boys. Um, <laughs> Because, you know, here we were singing yeah. and doing that. And we said, all right, well, I think we're tougher than that, too. You know, we can we can step that up a little bit. And then all these things. The first bass we bought was a $40 bass that we found in this guy's basement. I remember going to the music store and the guy saying, all right, putting some, you know, electrical thing to check if the pickups still work. <laughs> you know, all those great right. stories of just kind of like Getting through. putting a band together. I borrowed my friend Jacob's drum kit that that he played in high school we used that drum kit on the bang bang record so um that was a fun part of the band in the early days for me because we're putting it together right. you know and being in a band is such an intense experience but those years of 
when Bang Bang was recorded in 97, I think there was a certain camaraderie that we had. Um, and that was a, that was a special time. Right. And that, that record had like the mix of the, the first album with like some of the singer songwriter aspects with the, like the Bob Dylan twist of it's electric now and, um, explored those different fields. Now that you bring up that, um, the chili pepper influence, you definitely hear that with like, um, who are we living for that opening track? Yes. That, yeah, it, exactly. That yeah, comes we're, really we're, clear. <laughs> I think we, we loved the peppers. We loved, we loved Bob Marley. Um, we loved, um, trying to think of the bands, you know, Chad really brought rage against the machine in, and I didn't really, I don't know. I was like, okay, let me check this out. <laughs> uh, man, that band is like thunderous. I mean, they right. hit so hard and Chad and I saw rage against the machine at Jones beach amphitheater, like fourth row. <laughs> I, I couldn't Sick. believe it. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Their power, the power they had uh, was so, was so intense. And we wanted that. We wanted that too. We wanted to hit really hard. And I think, you know, we of course admired Pearl Jam. Um, it was funny. We went out to Seattle and we recorded three songs with, I believe his name was Rick Parashar, but Rick produced, um, 10, no, 10 was, okay. yeah, yeah, 10, 10 was recorded in, in his studio. You know, us in those early days, anything that related to Pearl Jam or Smashing Pumpkins or anything like that, we were like, yeah, you know, let's do that. Yeah. So we flew out to Seattle. We didn't have that much money to even get equipment. So we actually bought an amp from and a bass rig from uh, Guitar Center with the plan of using it for the record and then returning it back to the store. Oh, that's so, so sick. That, now that's I'm like, do it. I know, we snuck out with that. I felt kind of bad about that, but, <laughs> but we, pulled, we pulled that off. Right. Um, oh, man. Well, this is what you got to do to get through. Like, my bass yeah, player's that done that. The, <laughs> these were the things that we did, but I always thought they were good stories. That's awesome. Well, the kind of tie it in with the camaraderie, camaraderie, right? Of of the team mentality and like going to relate everything through sports of what we kind of jumped in with. It's kind of like that. There's this mindset of determination, right, and and self discipline that's needed to be able to have a team, uh, uh to have yeah, team yeah. mentality. I'm losing my brain. Um, like that to get through all that stuff. Like when the van breaks down or when you can't return that bass amp <laughs> and you got to share yeah. those tacos or whatever it is yeah, to get yeah. through it. There's got to be that, that end goal of not even reaching for something, just reaching, reaching, trying to do it. This is the, being in it. And like hearing yeah, stories think, yeah, like that man. is so cool. <laughs> I think you bring up a good point because never in my wildest dreams I thought that we were going to play in these rooms that we end up playing years later, you know, I mean, right. the way I thought about it is that at the very beginning, I thought, wouldn't it be great to have better monitors <laughs> so that we could hear ourselves better? And imagine if we had an acoustic guitar 
sounded, you, you know, could project more. And, and, and so that was the kind of thing. It was these little battles. You know, we, right. we, we weren't really thinking about a record deal. I mean, we thought about that a little. But we had to we had to win these people over. And it was always amazing to walk into a gig and people kind of take a side glance at you and they don't know you that well. But if you, if you hit home on a gig right. and you nail it yeah, and these people, they love you. The room because changes. It, you comes back to your uh, oxytocin comment that right. has been squirted in their brain <laughs> and they're like, they want to hang out all night with you. Um, and that was a part of that, man. And, and that was the transformation that would happen. Was there, um, uh, having all those different influences, right. And having like the strong, like sense of acoustic music and harmony and like songwriting, then jumping into this kind of rock funky, funk reggae mix, doing the booking the bill and getting in the venue, like out of town for the first time and playing that room. Was there, is, was it hard to, with that much like a, a diversity, musically to even get the gig and to like appropriately like build you know what i mean build a yeah. build the crowd yeah build a, build a crowd well at the beginning before the songs were really out um we were doing what i was just saying like going playing, into battle yeah. and playing and and trying to win the people when the cds started to get out there or or silence peoples and and bang bang and people started to know the music right and that i think would draw them to some venues and then or draw them to get more college gigs and we played a lot of high schools no and way. we even okay. played morning morning assemblies no way we came in at yeah. 7 a.m to a sleepy middle school <laughs> and we played a rock show and they were up all of them up <laughs> out of their seats by 7:45. That's sick. How how do you even how do you go about booking high schools? Like how does that come I don't that man, I don't <laughs> know. We would we would string gigs together. I almost think the gig, yeah, the gigs at those clubs were they're cool too. We played a lot of clubs, but there was something I don't know. There was something so raw. Right. About but, just coming into a cafeteria. Right. And taking and a sound company coming in and then the next thing you know, we're just like we're jamming, you know. It's like the um, uh, rock and roll high school, you know. What I mean, taking over the exactly. school. It's so sick. Yeah. So we had a lot of gigs like that, and and believe me, man, we played colleges multiple times. I mean, I feel like we went to Williams College so many times, and um, and then we go down south. Chad's sister went to Duke, and we went to Duke, and I had a friend at Princeton, and go to Princeton, and then we play a teen center. So we really took, we took, we took a lot of gigs. Right. Well, it's the, it sounds like it's like the, every, well, when you're doing music, you, there seems to be, or even like with writing or any creative endeavor, it seems like if you want to do it in full, uh, be fully immersed in it, you find like every avenue you can. And like, it sounds like that's yeah. exactly what you guys did. Yeah. I think that kind of, reflects on what you and I were talking at the beginning is that these were kind of practice. Right. Um, and I, I had a hard time performing at the beginning and just some stage fright or uh, it was hard for me to look people in the eye uh, when I was singing to them. So 
all of that in a way had to get worked out. Right. And for me, it took me a while before I think expressing an idea on the guitar, like a solo idea really took me a while to sort of understand what it was. And, and it took me many years to say, what's my voice, you know, what's my voice with the guitar, you know, what do I, um, you have a really, and that's the part of it, you know? Right. Well, I, I guess like it's the practice of doing it, right. It's putting the time in. It is. It's it uh, is. learning how to convey yourself and you start off with just like, uh, talking. You start off with yeah, words yeah, as exactly. a five-year-old and then, uh, you use words like arduous as an adult, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. But like, uh, no, that's a good point. The kind of comment on your guitar playing, I've always noticed you do a, it looks like you don't use a pick. Like, right. and like you, you get like this really like cool, like snappy, like, um, for esque note choices. Right. And like, you can have these cool phrases that are made with that. Was there anything that, yeah, led to that? yeah. Well, I tried playing with the pick and, and I've done pick, you know, alternating picking and I've worked at that, but, um, I don't know what it is, man. I just feel more at home with my hand. Hmm. Um, and you know, there's some guitar players like Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits. He did a lot of that and, and Jeff Beck. Um, and it's just like, let's see, I'm going to take my acoustic guitar here. You know, um, so then I, if I push, right. Yeah. And these days, I used to play more with my thumb and my first finger. Okay. Now, I do between my thumb and my middle finger, I do phrases. But I don't know if you know the guitar player, Wes Montgomery. Right. Yeah, he yeah. played pretty much primarily with his thumb. And he shreds. But he would do, he, <laughs> like, oh my God, he, that dude is, he's remarkable. But, but he did a thing that I don't do, but he kind of alternates his picking with his thumb down up. Mm. Um, like the double thumbing Victor Wooten stuff. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah, he he does that too. So, yeah, that, that I, I, you know, if I'm playing an acoustic guitar and I'm, I'm sort of really digging in, then I'll use a pick. But okay. if I'm playing the electric guitar or maybe more quiet acoustic guitar, I just use my hand. Yeah, no, it makes really cool um, phrases that sing. And I think part of that is because you're approaching it with that, like kind of that, um, I don't know if it's a Travis picking or what what you would call it, but that's awesome. Yeah, I, like when I was in high school I'd, and that song Bridges. Right. So I learned that. In high school, Travis picking, and okay. then okay. then I applied I applied that. But you know, a fun thing to talk about is even with the kids is that we don't always say that we're going to have a conversation with the guitar, in the sense of you know if I'm like Yo, Dave, what's going on, man? You know, and yeah, then yeah. but if and then if I'm saying. See, there I'm thinking of a conversation. I'm not thinking what's the next musical phrase. 
And I think people forget that sometimes is that when you're playing and, and again, at, it, at any skill level, you know, you might just be like, you know, so all of a sudden you change your mindset to being not necessarily, you know, just this kind of, you're like, well, if I'm going to have a conversation, you know, mm-hmm. or if you're a bird, you're bird chirping in a tree, like there's like a sound and there's a rhythm. And I think um, that you can say that to kids and you could say that, you know, I want you to have a conversation with your instrument. Well, what do you mean? Well, how do you say hello? What, when are we going to hang out later? Right, right, right. Like, what I think that does is just kind of opens up our language. I agree. No, it's 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 interesting because drummers use that uh, mentality a lot. Like drummers will, uh, for Phil's, if it's not like I'm, I'm sure Brad uh, thought it the same way, or maybe if you uh, sat on a kit and tried to figure some stuff out, there's like instead of thinking like one and e, uh, uh, you know, what I mean, right, like, right, um, <laughs> um, ba boom, bada boom, uh, what's a I can't remember the, the phrasing for it. Oh, the, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Bon Pat Boom, Debbie Boom. Right. <laughs> Pat Boom, Debbie yeah, Boom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or like with a with a with my students, we were doing um triplets, right? Yes. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And um I was a uh, for <laughs> uh what was I what was the kid brought up? Trip uh Chipotle. 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 <laughs> That's hilarious. Like just finding things that like that make it make sense because sometimes having a um a mnemonic device is gonna resonate in your brain more than like one E and uh you know what I mean? Exactly. To, like, yeah. Like that. But the, the, when it gets a little kind of too theoretical, it can be a little hard to explain. Right. And then I just thought that conversational thing, and even if you say, you know, I feel a little bit angry today, okay, right. and I'm going to speak that anger, you know, through my instrument, um, and then I don't know if that works with you with your kids, but you say, okay, if you're feeling that emotion, you know, how can that come through on your instrument? Right. Um, and I think that, to me, it's a good way to channel yeah, feelings. You know, definitely was a with a. I'm trying to think. Uh, in October, we did a we did um scary music, right? So we learned how to make scales, right? Yes. And then we learned how to make them scary by adding the um the minor second. So oh, cool. Uh, That's you know, great. making it just crunchy and like. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Wow. But, you know, it's just a way that the th- all the theory stuff is just ways to explain, make it sound scary in a, you know, in a very formulaic way. And like, do you, um, when you are, so when you take a lead, right, is that kind of where you, are you thinking conversationally like that? Is that I a common practice? You know what, a new the thing that I think about more is to take my time, mm. you know, yeah. and okay. you really like. One thing, Oscar Peterson is a really remarkable pianist, and right. I don't know if you know his work, yeah. but take a look at a YouTube thing with him, and, and it's like, I mean, it's effortless, man, you know? But he said, there's a great quote of him saying, 
that you should know those other instruments in your band and you should know what they're saying and what they're doing. Because you see, you can't always just be focusing on yourself and what mm. you're going to say. In a sense, a musician needs to become a good listener. Right. hundred percent. And so then I think what Oscar Peterson may be saying, if he, if he knows that drummer and what's happening on the hi-hat, and if he knows the keyboard is holding down those chords, you know, conversation in music is a really deep thing. It's just opposed to just sticking to parts, you know, and staying in your lane. So that's what I would encourage um, when you're soloing or you're thinking is that, you know, where you're going to put your note. And Miles Davis was a master of this, right? right? Because he would, in his kind of modal jazz, I mean, he would put some of those notes and you're like, what? You know, <sighs> on kind of blue. But think of the space. Yeah. No, I mean, it's... next time you lay down a solo, like just hit. <laughs> yeah. And wait. Let it down, down, down. There's so. Sorry. There's. I think there's. No, no. There's a fluidity that can happen. I agree. No, definitely. It's. I think with 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 that whole concept of space and listen. One, you're doing music. The whole idea is to listen. You know. And like a lot of times, there's this pressure of like when you think of a guitar solo. There's there's certain expect cliches expectations of what you're about to hear. It's going mm-hmm. red, but that's mm-hmm. not as musical, right? Uh, Victor Wooten's got this really cool, uh, really cool book, The Music Lesson. Have you read that? Yeah, somebody. Oh, okay. I want to read that. I oh, read okay. That. It's yeah. so, uh, that's one book I keep going back to, like as yeah. far as like uh, learning to think of music in like a different way that still applies, right? And there's this whole idea of like the whole the big takeaway is listening, but there's this whole idea of like. Breathing and Miles Davis does that for sure in the um like everything and like so what and like yes like there's just like one note that sticks out and then it resolves you can hear the space of it and then uh, like his whole book takes those different elements of it so like uh there's a the loudest dynamic and I use this with my students all the time I'll say do you know how to be the loudest you can possibly be and be heard by everybody <laughs> and they all look at me and I'll do this. And then they're all listening because it's silence. If you're silent, you hear yeah. everything. And right. They, and they, they get all mad. They're like, what are you doing? Just say it. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, but, um, but like, you know what I mean? The, the Taking a look at those different type of elements and learning how to make them work with what you know already build, makes everything more musical. Yeah. I think the, the really great thing a teacher can do is just for them to – to make the student realize how special they are a hundred percent and that and that's really um i think that's really you know even important with kids or or people that are a little bit tentative or nervous about learning an instrument and not knowing much i mean i think we all want to be identified as special yeah and we are all of us are unique in our own way um but man, there I've definitely stood on stages with musicians, jazz musicians that were way heavier than me and just knew way more than me. And honestly, sometimes I would just not play or play a few things, and it could be a little embarrassing on stage. But you know, right? I kind of stepped into the fire <laughs> with that, and I'm like, 
I think I'll, I'll just learn. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's, that's what you do. You listen, like I, you can only, as a person, right. You can only learn so much about one thing and there's only so many avenues. There's not, there's a, a million avenues. I want to rephrase that that you can, musically that you can take. And, uh, yeah. Uh, what was it like a like you with Phil Keggy like wow, oh yeah that's the concert you guys had with that was the, the hat the, yeah right that guy he rips. was re- remarkable remarkable so like, or like with the Barefoot Truth guys how'd that come yes about? to kind of like uh, touch upon some they, of the solo stuff you know what um, great recording studio in Rhode Island Lake West recording and our friend Jack Cothier who owns the studio and and runs it um. Dispatch did Bang Bang. Then we did uh, Four Day Trials. And we came back. I've done many of my solo records there. Um, Barefoot Truth, I think, heard that we had done music at Lake West. And then I can't remember exactly how, but we met them. And I met them and I've worked with them a bunch. And they're just great guys. Great guys. Really talented musicians. Um I did a solo tour with them and, and we, we had great shows. We really filled a bunch of houses. Um, one dude, Jay, he got into the Weisenborn guitars. And, and I think, I think that those are the guitars that Ben Harper plays. What they're okay, called the Weisenborn. Lap steels. Yeah, yeah. The lap steel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He got great at that. I'm actually going to do a gig with him in, in June. Nice. Yeah. Is he doing no, the, they're the great guys? Yeah. Open C stuff like a, a C six like the country sound in lap steel or is it like I, yeah, things? you know I, I uh, good question on what he tunes the um, lap steel to. I don't know. Okay. Sometimes I tune to E major. Right. When I'm playing, I, I have a national. Well, it's not here. I play it. Um, I'm putting a pickup in it. But okay, cool. It, it sounds beautiful. It's yeah. that metal guitar, and and I use. Um, that song go riding off my record so they say i use that guitar and that is tuned to open g okay so that's gbd i guess gbd right yeah i think that's what it is yeah um and that's a beautiful tuning open d right d a d f sharp a d is a cool tuning um, I don't know if you mess around with those, but yeah, no, I dabble in the, the open tune the, bit. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, so at that time, was that um, the Barefoot Truth record? That was after like your first two solo endeavors, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. And and we got together and we did. Uh, we did Quinn the Eskimo, I think, by Dylan, right. and then right. yeah, and then we did. Yeah, those guys, like I said, Will is a really good singer, front man. They were all good. Was it? With the um, with the with those first two records, even that one, that was all like in a very short period of time. Like, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. You know? Yeah, with, with my solo work or with, with that with your particular solo work? record? Like, yes. Because um, So They Say came out and then that same year... Uh, um, your second album came out. Untold. Yeah. Untold. And, um, but yeah, that was, that was, so like at that time, I th- was at 2000. Yeah, that was 2001, four, 2001 okay. and then 2002 or three Untold came out. Yeah, but it was like that for, 
many years. I've been, I've been kind of doing records consistently every couple of years. Um, Untold was great. That was also the basic tracks recorded at Jack Studio and okay. by Quest. Um, then I finished it up in New York City. Um, but man, you know, one of the favorite part about making these records is just I love playing with great musicians and I love learning from them and, and just seeing what kind of magic can happen in the studio and then the live thing. And I had a dear friend that passed named Paul Tillotson. And he also played with Dispatch and just kind of one of these guys who was an extraordinary keyboard pianist. Uh, and, and he just was one of these musicians who, um, in my opinion, was sort of a complete original. And he was a, quite a character and funny and sweet and hilarious. And so, so much of my journey, I think, has been about the people that I've gotten to work with. And now I work with my, my wife, Katie, and I'm not sure if you heard the Humble Down EP, yeah. but we um we we did that together and i mean you must know all about this cuz you're working with kids and you're working with um and i think that dynamic of team you know when i was a kid i was a, a catcher i was the baseball right. catcher <clears throat> and i felt like man getting behind there and looking at the team in front of me um i used to love that so that may have been part of the reason I put Dispatch together. Right. It may have been part of the reason that I've done all these records. Um, but really to, to what we're talking about today, um, it's sort of about our journey as musicians. Um, and, and, and that idea too, like it takes a while to be a musician and then say, as the thing is happening right now, I'm listening to what's going on. Right. I'm not waiting to play. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. when I'm playing. And I wanted to visit this point that you talked about was dynamics because dynamics is just such a really huge part of music that people don't, I don't think they talk about enough because too many bands, I'm sure Dispatch included, you come in playing too loud and then they hold the volume that's too loud for too long. Fair point, um, definitely. And and if you see some of the master jazz musicians and if you see some men, they can get down to a whisper. You know, they can yeah. get down. And I think dynamics is super important to talk about with children and talk about with musicians because everybody's like how loud can i play <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then but you can and i and i do this now you can play with more intensity quieter than you can as loud because once you create a groove it doesn't matter how loud and quiet you are like right. once once you create a groove and the groove is hot you know the groove is really doesn't matter if you're playing not quiet and and then the beauty is that you can then your sense of volume and it's funny it applies when you're recording too you don't want to 
you don't want to clip or get close to it because as the mixing and then mastering goes on, you want to kind of bring up those those levels. Right. That's it's an interesting point. I never thought of it like that. With the, as far as like when you go into record, you don't get too loud and you don't get too quiet. There's like a medium of uh, not being audible and not clipping, but live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That it seems like it live. It seems like it's the opposite. And like it. it well, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like everybody's so loud, <laughs> right? And then you either have to put limiters on them, or you have to be like. You know, I mean, how many countless, probably me included, guitar players, you're like, oh, can you turn down, you know, your right. Marshall's a little loud. Uh, oh, and man. then, but you know, next time you get with your band or whoever you're playing with, it's just like, all right, take a breath. And then let's start playing. Not not like, I mean, how many times is, this is like with us and Dispatch in the early days. Like that's right. cool, right? At one point, but if you're like, right? So that then you have room for people, and then you have room for what I'm saying is that the conversation. You see how I'm. Mm-hmm. Just, just, uh, I don't know. I agree. Something satisfying. And, and, you know, man, it took me, I don't know. It maybe took me many, many, many years to understand that. Cause I, I, even to tie it back to like your solo career, right? The first few albums, like, it seems like you were writing so much and recording like it. And then you get to a, the movie we're all in and that mm-hmm. album's completely different. And like, yeah. The dynamics of that record is so like. After that, you, it seems like each record was a really cool attempt at like a completely different form of of music in like of writing and like being creative, and it seems like that was like the yeah. middle ground. As just like, yeah. Was there a like kind of leading up to that? Was there a thing that like inspired like this kind of change of approach? And maybe like well, incorporating those dynamics and like more so than just like the regular band. Uh, well, it's a, it, it, yeah, it's interesting to talk about the movie we are in because um, I recorded that record in L.A. Yeah. And um, it was funny. Beck's record, Modern Guilt, had a had kind of a large impact on me. And that wasn't really, I don't know, it wasn't too common of his. I just thought it was cool and, and I liked it. And then I got to work with a really great musician and songwriter named Jeff Trott. And Jeff wrote some of Sheryl Crow's biggest hits. Hmm. If it makes you happy, every day is a winding road. And he had a studio in his house in Manhattan Beach. And he was cool. And he introduced me to some of the musicians that played with Beck on that record, uh, Modern Guilt. So they played on on my record movie we were in. So this was a bit outside of my comfort zone because I didn't know them. Right. And it was almost like kind of a hit for them and they come in and do their thing. Right. Studio gig. Yeah. But I like Jeff's sensibility. He's a really great guitar player too. Um, 
don't think he felt what I was writing and and he was encouraging to me. Um, and I think there were some tracks on there that, that were really cool. You know, the opening track glue was very, was fun to do. Um, but you know, you probably sense this familiar theme of me really loving to work with great musicians and, um, JMJ Justin Mel Del Johnson is quite a famous bass player in LA. He played with Beck. Um, so that was, you know, a lot of these times it kind of goes back to our thing we were talking about. Oh, you know, we got new monitors, new this, like mm. a new musician or a new sound was always ex- exciting to me. Um, and so, yeah, that that was definitely kind of a change of sound because I didn't do it at Jack's studio in Rhode Island. I went out to LA and yeah, I really enjoyed it. Was it that, and that make even like the discomfort, right. Of recording with someone new. Like, I think there's like a, when you're recording vocals with somebody or someone's listening to yeah. you, got their, got the cans on and they hear every breath you're, you're taking. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's something like it, it's kind of the singing with the person, the oxytocin. I don't think it's the same effect, but with listening to music and like writing together in that way, you have to, you know, to be with someone completely new in a completely different place is like, but that record, I think that record, um, that was the first one I heard of your solo career. I think that came out like when I became aware of your music, which was like 2010. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Actually we met in 2009 at a, where did we meet? Arts and Armory gig with uh, Calling All Crows. Oh, cool. Like, That's uh, right. And the, so it was at that point, was like a, with the solo career, you're diving into more vast sounds and like what came after, I think, expanded upon that. So it was kind of working with these guys and learning new tricks of the trade and like kind of like working with like people that have different phrases, like, and just, I mean, verbally, like, I, if I hang out with someone long enough that says something one way, I find myself using that term in another yeah. conversation. Did that kind of pan out for the like next few records? Well, let's see. So I think I made Immortal and Plosego after that, right? Right. Yeah. So that was a really wild record. And I think in many ways, I think of it as sort of like jazz kind of improvisation. I mean, I know I'm considered like, a rock musician or folk singer, but jazz and particularly jazz improvisation has always just always kind of had a big part in my life. The way I think about music, if I think about um, John Coltrane or, right. or I think about Miles or and and, and Wes Montgomery or, or some of these, I don't know, there's a freedom. So in that way, I kind of just let my tongue loose, you know, mm. and I just wrote, a lot of things and um you know I, I mean to delve a little bit into mental health i i you know i've held uh, have worked with dealt with depression and also right. when i was 31 i was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and i didn't really understand i didn't know what it meant and i right. also had heard that it was called manic depressive disorder right um and during this time i think i was a bit manic so a lot of what I was writing may not have made total sense, but 
I also love abstraction, um, particularly in art. And so part of it was sort of abstraction um, with words. And so I learned I learned a lot from that record. You know, there were some songs that I wrote that may have been pretty out there, but I wrote a song um, called Make It Bright. And that was about, you know, Patti Smith, a great yeah. writer. She wrote a book called, I think it's Just Kids or something about right. her relationship yeah, yeah. with Robert yeah. Mablethorpe. And that book's really, that song's really about their relationship. And the book had a very profound effect on me um, just because they're you know, two really amazing artists and, and their conversation. So that song kind of encapsulated that. But some of the other stuff, um, some of the other songs were just like sort of me searching, right? You know, and yeah. and and maybe being lost, but and and you know, with mania, as many artists will talk about, you can sort of be um, just a lot of information coming out, which which may not make sense. And but I still think that record's interesting. You know, I still admire it um it's a great record (laughs) for 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 what it is and but it wasn't it it was a definitely a heavy time in my life so um sorry i was gonna say like kind of being in the mindset of what was like do you have like because i i'm gonna bring it back to this point but do you have like a creative uh routine like do you sit down and write every day for a little bit or do you is there like a, a, a way that you practice being creative well i sort of now i know i play guitar all day long yeah I, I play as soon as i wake up in the morning when my kids are eating breakfast i play guitar and <laughs> to go back to when you were saying well well when you're younger do you have access to and i think i still have access to that you know, I'm not yeah. saying that I'm writing hits every day or anything like that, but I have access to, um, I know when something's cool, right. you know, I know, I know when am I doing something and that I relate to that. And during the pandemic, I took, I studied some guitar with different people and some things almost, I'm like yeah. way out of my league, you know, way out of my league. I'm like, well, the, you know, it, when we get into some theory and you're talking minor seven flat five, you're okay. some, you're like I understand this stuff, but yeah, I I like it to a point, you know, right. I like it, and then I like letting go of it. So, but just to your question about writing, I um, I I have my iPhone and I write poetry or po or poetic ideas a lot. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm in, I'm in my studio right now, and and to me, my guitars are my friends because I I take care of them, I love them, and then they have different voices. So to think that it's always me coming up with the song. Sometimes I think the guitar is coming up with the song, hmm. and the guitar is giving me something and something that it wants to to say. And I it's funny. I have a friend who I bought a bunch of guitars from in New York. His name is Zeke. And he gave me, he said, he, he handed me this J45, this Gibson. He goes, Pete, this guitar has songs in it. Whoa. Whoa. And then, so I wrote that song Valentine that right. night that he gave, that he gave me that song. 
that guitar, that I bought that guitar. So it's fun to think about that because I think with our brains, we're always thinking like figuring out and technical in that. Right. And I guess I'm very interested in the spirit. You know, I'm I'm very interested in that's why I think I love poetry because there is the spirit is living in the words and music is living in the words. And sometimes in this world where we're very dictated by our eyes and uh, what we're reading or this or that, that sometimes I think we're careful. We have to be careful that we're not dislodged from the spirit uh, because the spirit is quite, and the spirit doesn't have to be religion, Yeah, but the spirit can be like you and I, here we are talking today. We both love music, right? And children and friends. And right. and that to me is the inherent spirit. So that's what I try to be aware of as a creative person. Because then to me, life becomes sort of a, a conversation between things, animate and inanimate. And, um, you know, like my guitar and I feel if I take care of it and I put the, the thing, the dehumidifier in it, then the guitar right. is happy. Right. You know, and my piano, I get my piano tuned. Then when you need so, it, it works. <laughs> yeah. Right. Wow. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful way to, to put it because there is like, uh, even like, um, I can't remember what, uh, what. Uh, Plato writing it is where Socrates is trying to find who has truth right and uh, the poet uh, just is begifted these things and writes it down and and but doesn't know the truth it just relays it right and um, I think at the, I can't remember the end of that narrative but it goes around to be the philosopher somehow yeah uh, but there's that that with any creative endeavor there is that kind of like spirit of how like how you put it that happens and being there and being ready for it and um making it the mo riding that wave through and it comes out the song or it comes out the painting that's a beautiful way how you put it um yeah it's it's, it's very beautiful you know when you're with the, your children and you probably would tell me this you there are these moments where they light up and and particularly i i can see what my mom worked with autistic children and oh yeah um, yeah, she, my mom was a, uh, social worker Wow. and she worked with children, some children, very difficult, but I guess what I observe is that, you know, to make someone feel special is, is an important part because we're, I guess we're in a sort of self-centered world that everything is revolving around us, um, the individual, right. but I think this relates to life and 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 to music just to get back to our conversation about oscar <laughs> peterson yeah and and these musicians that um if you're very aware of the sound around you then everyone in the band can control it as opposed to just one controlling it and that comes back to that volume thing where i've seen some bands where it's just like Oh my God, it's just so loud for the whole set. <laughs> and I kind of like, yeah. when it, you know, when the, yeah. you shouldn't have to leave a concert with your ears hurting, you know? True, true, true. 
<laughs> unless it's that type of concert you're going to. I guess to. unless maybe yeah. if it's Rage Against Machines. Right. It feels kind then, of good. then you kind of want your ears and your brain to hurt and your yeah. face to be melted. But exactly. typically, if you're not signing up for that, you don't, <laughs> you don't exactly. want that from an Eagles concert. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> But um, so kind of being in this open like and having this creative diet, right, and being and being aware and always putting things out, um, advocating for for mental health like you did, I think is a really important thing, um, especially because yeah, um, yeah, I I think you know mental health is one of these things that um, I feel like people think it's a prison sentence, you know, and. I don't, I think it's related to all of us in a way. And maybe a lot of this is coming out now, sexuality, race. And, and I just hope we can get to a a place that people, a place of acceptance Yeah. that life can be quite hard. It can be hard to understand sexuality can be hard to understand our race. And, and, uh, and then it can be hard to understand illness. Right. Um, but if you look at many creative people, some of the best have had to deal with bipolar disorder or they've dealt with depression. And and I, I don't feel so ashamed of it anymore or feel like that. I've, I've had to come to say and accept that that that's part of me. Yeah. And once that once I've started to accept that, then a lot of the um, the tension and agony kind of melts away. Because I am be, am accepting myself for who I am, you know. Yeah. And but I have fought that, you know. I really fought that, and I said, I don't want to be that, or I'm 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 manic and I'm behaving like this, or I'm very depressed. But this has been a long road for me, you know. I've dealt with some very difficult OCD, and um, but I just hope that we can accept each other for who we are. And then those moments of celebration have that much more um, glow, right? And and to them, because we say, "Hey, you know, we're in this together." And you might have something, or you know, someone very close to you died, or someone teased you because of your sexuality, or you know, and yeah. we all feel so that those we, we feel that we we right. yeah yeah. It's accepting, I mean, I guess all knowledge is eventually self-knowledge, right? And, like, acceptance of that is a big deal. And, like, because I, you know, I work with a lot of people that are learning to to advocate for themselves. And mm-hmm. when uh, I read about your situation with Dispatch and how you were at, I was like, that's awesome. There's someone who's doing it. There's an example. Like, a lot, and you have kids and, like, I mean, you're working with students now, um, teaching and like but you you start to be the example and that gets it, it's a difficult spot to be in sometimes but it also like kind of puts things into perspective when someone else does it and yeah you know and really really shows that that's how it should be done like so that's i think uh what's amazing like, i don't want to just say amazing but like that's that's huge that's such a big deal to do that and say that and be within that and accept that and move from that and I agree. Yeah, and I and I definitely don't want to sound like this has been easy for me. You know, no, like yeah, I'm not. Doing it's that. been it's been hard. And no, I know you're not saying that, but I I'm just trying to say like I've had to put time in therapy and and 
and being creative and being creative is healing. Um, but I think it is important for people to know in this interview that it's, I didn't leave dispatch just because of mental illness, you know, that, that was part of it and I wasn't okay. well, but I think we grew apart musically. Okay. We grew apart and that, and that really is ultimately the reason where I left. Gotcha. Um, Cause like, and, yeah, sorry. Sorry, David. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, like, even, like, looking at your solo career compared to, like, um, some of the others, it sounds like you take more, like, kind of, like, uh, like adventurous choices. Like, a um, Dragon Dragon Crest Collective is a completely different record than Untold. You know what I mean? Like, the grandmas are involved. No one includes the grandmas. (laughs) I know. It's a... You know, man, I think it might come back to the beginning of our conversation of being around my siblings. Yeah. And, you know, my mom is Swedish and my mom is an artist. And she oh, yeah, she came, she came here as like in the 50s uh, or late 50s. And she was a really amazing seamstress and, and worked in, in the garment district in New York. But my mom, my mom could play guitar and piano. Hmm. And okay. she's she's really a very artistic woman. So when I was making that kind of funny thing about grandma. hearing yeah. all of this music and uh, well, yeah, the grandmas, of course, <laughs> just hilarious. Right. I have awesome. I have some good friends, Paul Madison, Kenny Shaw, Dan Golden, and these guys. Maybe that's also a part of my personalities. I love being silly, <laughs> and and I just think. I don't know. Being silly to me, I mean, when we're, you know, 75 and 80, we could still be silly. Right. It's fun. And it's fun. It's fun fun to have fun. Yeah. And I feel like our society and culture is in in, in a moment of sort of real seriousness and shaming people and all of this. And, And I mean, maybe this had to happen and maybe this Trump era of being this sort of outrageous reality TV star president <laughs> right. had to happen. And, and we're like, but I hope that I hope it mellows out and we say, you know what? We're people. We got to do the best to to love each other and support. And when it comes to artists or, or children and autistic children and that are very have heightened emotions, you know, mm-hmm. to say to them that art and creativity can really be something to help them. Definitely. And I, you know, I feel like in, in many aspects of society that if people allow themselves to be creative of whatever they're working on, I think it can bring a sense of calm. Yeah. There's something to the, the completion of the thought and putting it into reality. Right. Even if it's just you're drawing a new type of garbage system. I have a student that's obsessed with making a new garbage system for the school. Even if that's you draw cool. right, I don't I don't know. Yeah, why like, not? Even if you, you draw that out and you make a, a shoot that goes down to the basement, you know what I mean? With 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 a one of those weird uh whatever, a, a PVC pipe. Like would even if it's that, there's something to being creative. And that leading to something that exists and knowing that you can manipulate your surroundings to something you wanted to see. I think you can reflect that internally. Mm-hmm. And that's like a, I think that's well said. 
things. Yep. Yeah, and I think that um, we're talking about knowing ourselves. Yeah, 100%. And to be a good musician, you have to learn to know yourself. Right. And because if you're not aware of yourself, you're, these sounds and these things are totally out of control. Right. But I think that very good musicians are very aware of not only themselves, but then they know and feel a friendship with the other musicians, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and I think the Dalai Lama, like he said some nice things about, you know, going within and kind of, I guess he says, leave the outside as it is and, and go within. And mm. that, when I, when I read that quote, I said, okay, well, how can I accept myself? How can I understand myself? And, and, um, I think that's a part, a major part of, of maturing as a person. Definitely. Um, you know what I mean? Because yeah, we're, yeah. we start to know ourselves and, and then my dad was always a really good listener. And I feel like I learned that from him. Like he was really smart and he read like all day long. Um, but like what, what was he reading? What was a, he what would was read for first every day he'd go get the New York times like clockwork. Yeah. He just, he grew, <laughs> I don't even know what was delivered, but if we were on vacation, man. He'd find he was it. out like getting like a Cinnabon and a New York Times, <laughs> and um, but then he was just a voracious reader. He read he I, he just read he knew so much about history. He knew, uh, you know, he was just you know that word autodidact. It's like mm -hmm. it's somebody who just reads everything and learns everything. Hmm. But I I think I've applied that idea of listening. A lot of people because you can learn a lot. You can learn more with questions than answers, you know. Definitely. Um Definitely and, and that's that. always a fun thing. <laughs> right. Well, and accepting that maybe you don't know and moving like accepting that there is no maybe that you don't know that answer and trying to find it. You don't know that answer. And musically you may just not know what the hell that guy's doing. Right. But you're like, can I do something that supports something I don't know? Was there um uh like so with the process of like writing and hearing yourself and accepting like this is what I sound like and I'm gonna shape it into what I want it to sound like. Was there like when did did you are you still working on that process? Like did you come to that to at one point and like you know what I mean like everyone finds their range, everyone finds like the kind of tone they have and builds with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, now, now we're talking about finding your voice. Right. And now we're, you know, when I did some group therapy in New York with a bunch of people, this, this one woman said, you have to learn that there's a voice that says life or this situation can be hard for you. Mm. So you find a voice within yourself that has compassion for yourself. Mm. And when that begins then you allow the child to come out of you because the child is very connected to the artist. Yeah. The child and the yeah. art, what the artist may have different than the, uh, the child is the artist has the craft and the practice of the craft. Yeah. So you see, then mm -hmm. the artist is not just the child, but Picasso would even talk about this, you know, 
my daughter's paintings blow me away. Some they blow me away more than a lot of paintings I see in museums, you know, because she's there. And I'm sure with the kids that you work with. So be, allowing your artists to come out is allowing yourself to sound funny, to be out of tune, yeah. to say stupid you know, words <laughs> that may be stupid. And that to me is part of the gathering because as artists, we, you have to go and gather if you're going into the forest and looking for every exact rock. I mean, maybe, but, but the gathering is really a part of the process. And I think ultimately part of the meditation of creating work. And I bet you may feel when you pick up your guitar and you say, all right, I have this D and then I'm going to this E minor and then the G and then back to the C. Right. And then you have those words and you're like, well, I wrote these words. Um, well, let me try those words. Putting them um, in there. Okay. And putting them in there right. and not being too tough on yourself. Right, right. Did. I think that that it's beautifully said and like definitely the gathering, the idea of taking in so you can put out, right. Going out and being around people that can speak a higher, a, a more efficient dialect than maybe you can in whatever mm -hmm. media you want to do. I think that all plays into it. And I think the gathering, the idea of that is a good illustration of, of that. And like, well, if you're putting a band together, you're going to want to put people that know what they're doing. Right, right. Well, and that goes back. You to don't want to be the only one that's yeah. knowing what they're doing. Right. And and bossing them around. Yeah. That never works. <laughs> but in a way, you're then guiding them. And you know that guy can lay the groove down. You know that other dude. But also, we're not saying that it has to be uh, masterful playing. Yeah. Right. Right. It's like, it's, and this again comes back to creating a mosaic or creating something visually that you say, well, that square and that color. And that I think is part of, I just feel that, that that's not as, that's not as difficult. Right. As, a, as opposed to always getting everything perfect or whatever, whatever that even means. And to me, it means you're squeezing out some of the life. Right. Definitely. Because and, you're going for something and not just letting it happen. And how many times have you heard where, oh, we were doing that and that was just a mistake and we we're going to throw it out. And then you're right. like, oh, but that became. <laughs> That's paranoid. I, I would like, love like, those stories right. like that. I was like, oh, no, we were, that wasn't. That was a part of the song that we were going to throw out. Now that's the hook. That's it is crazy how like the ones that have the least amount of time and are just whims stick. Did you guys did you find that? That's with funny, like, isn't uh, that the stories like that? Man, I you know, it was like Chad would have different songs and, and the general like I remember I always remember it's fun to think of how his handwriting the lyrics looked on the scrappy piece of paper <laughs> for the general. Yeah. And then I think he had a tape recording of it and then hearing it and I think I just I just loved it you know and I loved a lot of you know I loved um call my name out loud and and flying horses because you know I mean he wrote some of those when he was a teenager and 
I wrote two coins in Mayday when I'm a teenager. And um, I don't know. I just like, I like the innocence of it. Yeah. And that, and that, that what we're talking about, allowing the child to come out, to come, to come out. And really you are inviting the child to come out. You have to remember children just don't jump out and all of a sudden they're, you know, some children are quite shy. And so that shy child may exist within us too. It's interesting. Like, uh, sorry, I didn't mean the, no, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, it's interesting. There's this, um, uh, um, approach to music therapy called the Nordoff Robbins approach. And it's, it's a, I think they're all, they're based out of New York, but it's like an all improv based uh, approach. And their whole thing is the musical child and allowing Mm -hmm. that to come out. And then it goes to the, um, uh, psychodynamic approach of what's the unconscious and making it conscious and, um, Mm -hmm. self-actualization and moving from that, but it comes from the improv and, Mm -hmm. The more it, it, that seems to be just the the creative like outlet is is their kind of like their their spiel, um, and just with the conversation we're having, that's come to the come to mind. Um, Absolutely, absolutely. No, no, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, improvisation is is something I think we may be more connected to as children, and they do call, talk about unconscious and and. You know, and a lot of that come from Freud and Jung and and these ideas of what, what are these voices. And, you know, one thing you might try is to wake yourself in the middle of the night with an alarm clock or something. And then don't do anything except write down mm. exactly what comes out. Oh, man. And, you know, these types of things, man, you'd be surprised who's talking. Yeah. It may not be you or your conscious voice or what am I what am I saying here? Or you know, you think and think about a conversation or your mom or your dad, your brother, or your sister, or your best friend. Right. Something they said right before you got off the phone. And then you go, Oh man, that's a great line for a song. Or that's right. a great lyric. And I think that you know, one song I was really proud of off Untold was um, Beneath the Fire. And it was about a father looking for his son, both firefighters in 9-11, and the father couldn't find his son. Yeah. And it was just, I don't know, man. I grew up in in uh, Greenwich, Connecticut, and so I knew people in 9-11 and knew dads or this. And so it's always been so close to my heart. And, and when I read that in the New York Times, I just thought it was just, I don't know. I read the lyric and I think he said, I'm not going to leave until the last dustpan of dirt is picked up or something. And it was one of those things, you know, yeah. how, like yeah. a father and a son and firefighters. Yeah. And, but that there's an example of like something in the newspaper. Right. So I think artists also have to be kind of scavengers. Right. Open, you to know, it. and yeah. So, Part of our conversation today is also the recognition that um, you don't magically become an artist. No, I mean, some people, some people like, oh, I I feel artistic. But then the ones that I know it, it's like I watched that masterclass about um, Leibowitz, the the photographer, Annie Leibowitz. And 
she didn't really talk about it like you know i've got this amazing camera and i do this and like she talked about it as if she was fixing a refrigerator or something and <laughs> she was like well you know i do that and then i do that and then so it had the sound to me of of a craftsman right the practice so practice and doing it and i really like that i really like that part of it because you know i've, I've known other artists and uh, you know painters and one of my good friends is a painter bill quigley and he oh, paints every day, man. Yeah. Bill did the artwork for um, who, uh, my solo and who are we living for? He did the painting on first. So they say, and, Oh, okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, he's a great painter. You yeah. Know? And yeah. he is, he's just painting, you know, he's doing his thing. So. Yeah. It's, it's definitely interesting. That it is this kind of like, approach to like there's you know, the techniques not the techniques i don't want to call it that the idea that it's a practice makes it seem reachable like i don't that's know that's right i don't that's think right I well could, that's the part yes yep i don't think i could uh, write a song as good as a uh, two coins but i think i could wake up in the middle of the night and and write something down and be like what did that mean you know what i mean that's all yeah you don't know i mean like our process of of how we create i mean even me, I, you know, written two coins or in some other songs. And I'm like, oh, well, what if a song like that? And that's the part where we have to say, all right, I can't be too judgmental or, or too right. tough on myself. Right. You know, I, I want to stay a creative person. Yeah. I want to, I want to be a cr creator. And I think being through being a creator, we can work through a lot of emotions. Definitely. Um, some emotions that are very hard for, anger and bitterness and and love and jealousy and all these things i think that we can allow to be worked out through creativity i think that's one of the only ways too in a way when it's your kind of medium right and if not i think people find other ways to do it if their medium isn't like a straight ahead like creative outlet yeah there aren't look there aren't people like you and me or artists or, you know, people don't, they don't really talk like this, you know? Right. So this is, this is how we interpret the world. Right. Um, but, but I guess for creative or emotionally minded people, I would encourage creativity for the purpose of processing. Hmm. Um, because I think that it's, that it's healthy. Yeah, definitely. You know, even like, now, now, kind of thinking about it, and, and someone who doesn't have a creative outlet such as music or art, even just the idea of creating a narrative to have a conversation is that same kind of like process. So, even yes, like yes, some degree, yep. there's, there's that. that that's super I think that, insightful. Yeah, and and children that may be, I'm sure you know a lot about this, that have a difficult time expressing their emotions or telling you that they're jealous or angry, right? Or or that maybe they really like you and they don't know how to tell you that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, so I think that's, uh, I learned a lot of that from my mom. You know, I learned she was, she was very accepting um, and loving and open to people. And I think right now, culturally, we're, 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 we have a lot of guards up. Right. And I hope this may be a, a particular time in history 
um, and may come around and maybe human human uh, behavior is always evolving, obviously. Um, but particularly in the creative process, I think it's good to talk about relieving yourself. Yeah. That it has to be perfect or oh, yeah. comparing yourself that, you know, whatever. I, I want to write a song like Into the Mystic, like Van Morrison, one of my favorite songs. How do I write that? But then I say, okay. And this is the part where I think it's, it's just about loving yourself and loving or supporting yourself too. Yeah. Um, and, and say, I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night. I don't know what the heck I was thinking. I'm writing about a rubber duck, you know, <laughs> but it's funny. Yeah. And that's why we are the grandmas and some of that, like, I don't know. I love that stuff too. Right. I just, I don't know. I love, I, I just do. I love it. It's very, um, uh... so I just have to be the, I have to say, well, I'm going to be the artist. And I guess I've always been this way. I just say, and I hope not in a standoffish way, but that I just like being who I am. And it allows me to be the artist that I want to be because a lot of the artists that I know that I love have changed the world. And they've changed the world because of the love. Ultimately, creativity is love in a different form, you know, coming yeah. out. And it's, um, it's healing. Definitely. And I think it's the love for yourself to be able to show that other people can do that too. Exactly. It kind of goes back to the idea of leading by example. If you can uh, follow your bliss and um, come up with this amazing record, I can do that with uh, my 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 Lego towers. You know what I mean? Like, or, or whatever it is. And like that that isn't possible until you see someone do that. Until you see someone achieve. Yeah. Or or I mean, man, if you inspire someone. If you inspire someone, you've given them something. Right. You've given them something. that That's very deep. If you write something powerful, if you say some certain words to a kid, you've given them something. And this is coming back to culture, society, that I think people are taking from people. And it's like, mm. wait a second. What if we create an environment that's a little bit more about giving? You know, and not necessarily money or that but you know a nice gesture a right. nice thing and i think by that energy the world your magnetism you know sort of there's there's positivity in in your magnetism i agree um, yeah you know yeah and, and, and it pays forward for sure like if you go out there and little things like you don't even think and i'm sure you notice it with with your kids and Little things you you say or do completely make that day awesome. Now going down the slide is fun because, you know, or now like in that, I think that pants off later in life being like when I'm sure um, the teacher you're working with now said something to you because it's kind of very serendipical that you're teaching where you met Brad and Chad. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of full circle in a way. Um, but I'm sure she said something that resonated with you that along that journey helped carry you through 
It was, um, I got to tell you, man, she is a woman who says very positive. Even if it's something you might, she's, she's eloquent and she's positive. And it's that kind of yes and approach. Okay. Not, no, you know, Tommy, I don't know about that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Tommy. And you may also <laughs> think about this. Right, right. You know, so it's a subtle difference, but it's a it's a big difference. You know, because it's, um, when you're teaching, you're then guiding. And you're helping the student find his or her light. Right. And And that's a very... It's a it's an exciting thing, you know. And if, yeah. I don't know if it's a U two song or something. So it's like getting out of the way of yourself. Yeah, getting out of the way of yourself, and you'd be surprised, man. You know, Dave, you 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 start writing and doing stuff, and just write in the notebook, and like these things come out. You know, play the chords together, and sometimes, man, I do play just play four chords over and over and over again. Yeah. And, you know, that's how I wrote, you know, Untold. I changed the key, but it's just A minor, G, F, C. And I was talking to my friend Dan about it, and I was like, he's like, man, so many of the best songs, they're like a few chords. Right, right. You know, and, and so that's why I think, I mean, you can't expect a sculptor to whack the stone and all of a sudden, you know, the no. statue of da- David pops out, you know? <laughs> yeah, no. It it's takes... like, you know what I mean? So, right. and then, I, then the part of it is like, you know what? I dig this experience of playing these four chords over and over again. And, you know, I think the process of, um, of a cycle is that... It comes around around. I thought that I was like, I was my son watching Charlie. My son Charlie played baseball. And I thought when I was younger, I played baseball. And you go around the bases. It's not like they invented 17 other bases out in the field. It's like, no, home, first, second, fourth, around. Right. You know, so yeah. it's the kind of fun where you think of things that are just cyclical. And you're okay with that. And so that means if you're sitting there tonight and you're just like, and you're playing E, sometimes you could just play E, right? Right Right. now I'm just playing, I'm just playing E major. And then if I play E major. You know, and there's something really soulful about that. So that would be another thing I'd suggest about meditating on the simple. Mm. Okay. No, that makes sense. And like you, uh, lyrically, I've noticed you have a way of like describing a scene with a one line in simple terms that's really clear, but also very vague. Like, yeah. Uh, there, some of my favorite writers James Joyce, the Irish writer, okay. yeah, yeah. He, he would he would describe he might have a few lines about a room or a shadow. And I sort of like the idea that something 
is going to give you some specificity. But like what you were just saying, it you allow maybe you when you read that, how do you feel? Right. Not necessarily how I feel. And I think maybe some writing is too on the nose, right? Just so like written and and or whatever. It might just get to be um cliche. And so, you know, this song I wrote, um what's it called? Uh, <laughs> you got a lot of Well them. I think I say yeah, I think I say <laughs> I went up north into the empty woods. The moss was cold under my hand. So, okay, I mean, but you're going north. Then then the moss, like the moss, you put it, you may be in the forest and you put your hand down. And, but then the next line I say, I flirted with dealers and devils too long. I finally found a woman who understands. So, that it's poetic in the sense because there's this feeling of maybe putting the hand in, and then, but also where your hand may be on this cool moss and you may have a thought, a reflective thought that maybe some of the people I've hung out with and maybe I'm ready to move on from them. Right. Devils. So the city's devils said, maybe they were trouble dealers. What were they dealing? Some kind of, you know, yeah, whatever trouble I was getting into. So, that those are those are kind of writing techniques that are fun to play with because then you're creating your own language and some people say well, i don't know what your lyrics mean pete and i say okay well that's fair but i mean they can mean whatever you want them to mean you know right, right. i don't know what a sculpture means per se right you but can... it, it's round and voluptuous and so these um these things man they I just find them very interesting. Right. I just find them interesting. I don't I don't really need to know if I accomplished anything or whatever, you know. I I think I did accomplish something by because if you make something that um causes someone to think about other ideas, then you may to go back to what we were saying earlier, you may have given them something. Definitely. For it, free. Right. <laughs> for free. Yeah. It's well, definitely it's if if we're looking at that, like if even with like the 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 last dispatch concert, you guys showed the world that an independent band can do it. You know without man, I mean like not that, that like, was maybe my favorite concert of my whole life. I don't know. If it wasn't, was not, I don't know. It wasn't know. about business. It wasn't about business. Right. It wasn't about numbers. Those people were there. It was our little version of Woodstock in Boston. There were 60,000 people there at 11 a.m. That's crazy. You know, and yeah. it was a beautiful day, man. It was a day. It's really sunny where I am right now. It's a beautiful day like today. And... Um, and people were so happy and we didn't even know what to think, man. But when we got up and played, it was just, it was something else. I can't even tell you Madison square garden, of course, like for me the first night, but none of those concerts touched that concert. 
That one was watching the that um documentary film you have with that. Like I don't see how that anything could touch that. Like that's an, an accom- like nothing no, lightning in nothing, an all of an accomplishment. Nothing, like, nothing. Will, to me, I might might as well retire after that. I've just been like that was it. Well, but I mean, if, I still like playing. So <laughs> yeah. Well, that's got to be what gets you through. Like I, I, even when you're touring, you have one good gig that gets you through the next five shitty gigs <laughs> like there, that's well said like, yeah that's very true the kind and that's of, you know and then you get a good musical moment that's a part about don't don't you can't be too critical on yourself i think a lot of artists who are creative want to be creative people um they they get hung up on that and you know i learned that i mentioned my friend paul tillotson who passed and yeah. He, we, we, I wrote a song called Wonderful, and the first time we did it, we improvised it in his tiny little apartment on 6th Street. It was so small, but he had a grand piano in there. And he had a Murphy bed that pulled down from the side. And we're in there, and he had this like pretty shitty <laughs> like <laughs> nylon string guitar. And, okay. But it had a lot of soul. And, <laughs> and worked. Um, it worked. <laughs> And we wrote this song, Wonderful, and when he played the piano solo in the middle of it, he hit what sounded like really a long note. But then it was the note that was just the most powerful note in the song because it was that note of being like, I don't know, shit happens. Right. And then you recognize that. And I don't know. (laughs) Well, you and I have been having a very philosophical conversation, but everybody has to get rid of every little blemish that they have. And women have to change this. We have to change that. We, you know, I, I don't even know what the hell we're doing. Right. You know, so that's the example of embracing, of enjoying, and right. embracing that, and really just to to come back to the creative process of that being an important moment. Um, because that's that big word when you're, you're not working with other musicians, you're, well, I guess you are sometimes, but I'm just talking about playing. You're playing when children play, they're playing. What are they doing? They're playing. They're playing, man. It's fun. Yeah, (laughs) they're playing. And I think that was part of the reason why Dispatch succeeded is that we knew how to play. Um, not necessarily I'm saying the best musicians, but we knew how to be playful with each other. And I think that that I have tried to take that philosophy with me in these other, um, in these other bands and, and other projects and, and just, I think loving art, loving music and loving it, um, I don't know. Yeah, you know that yeah. it's it's like allowing people to be who they are, right. as opposed to, as opposed to giving people problems because they are who they are. It, well, yeah, no, that makes sense because you embrace it and you accept it, and it it doesn't become as a a blemish as it is. It becomes Scott. You know what I mean? Like or fill in the blank. It becomes that defining characteristic as opposed right. to that blemish and like. Right. Interesting, like, bit from Victor's book is um, if you play a minor second, right? So if you play a C and a C sharp right next to each right. other, it's super dissonant. Right. And yeah. not pl- your, it's the ratios don't work. Your brain doesn't like it. But if you flip it up and put it up an octave, it becomes a ninth. 
And like mm-hmm. now it's a cool sounding chord. Or even if you That's okay, maybe point. don't make it a minor second, make it just a second, right? And mm-hmm. still, now it's a major ninth and it's a beautiful chord. So it's kind of looking at that and I guess it comes like the, the, the kind of cap everything it comes to looking at who you are and what you've gone through and how to analyze yourself and accept that and make it the beauty it is. I think so, man. <laughs> I thought times, why can't my mind not obsess about things? Why, why do I deal with this stuff? And then more and more recently, I just said, well, that's what it does. Right. And now I'm going to go and get a sandwich. And, <laughs> you know, now yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to take that energy. And that acceptance, I think, has helped me in my struggles, you know, but, yeah. but conversely, it's helped me become a deeper musician, an artist, a writer. Um, because I think, you know, we're aware of them and then maybe we can recognize them in other people. Yeah. And then maybe we're yeah. not as critical of other people. Um, because seeing that blemish is what it is on another person too. You know, it's, it's that it's that flatted second now it's that right sharp, exactly you know, what what is that beautiful chord that he's doing <laughs> or or what is it about him his playing that so them i don't know that's what makes us so unique and 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 being in a band we're like oh that drummer man this dude is so funky and his beat like it, it's just putting me in a good mood um and again the most important word to me is the spirit, you know, because yeah. I just feel like that's something that we we can all we can all relate to the mystery of life, and and I think there's a mystery to art, a mystery in, in that it, that it may you know represent the human soul, um, and the beauty I think. I think it's important for people to realize no, no matter who they are or skill level or whatever, that they're special. Definitely. You know, Definitely. Yeah. And, and I bet the, the, the love and attention you give to your students, that's beautiful because you are helping them feel special. Trying, <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I, I agree. Not with what always you said easy. And like, it the it's celebrating that individualism as opposed to making trying to make everyone normal, you know. Is is that the kind of like shift shift it? Is that why you guys came up with this collective idea, you and your wife? This yes. dragon crest. Um, you know, um I live on a street called Hillcrest. My okay. friend Paul said you should have dragons in your studio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My sister found some rad dragon curtains. Yeah. And then Dragon Crest was born. And what I think it is, is Katie and I, we love um, art and collaboration. And she and I have always loved walking around New York and checking out the cool shops and going to the museum and and. I think that that wanted to be an extension of our lives. So with Dragon Crest, we both like to create, um, even if it's a cool hat or, or Katie designed a bandana. Yeah. Um, it goes back to this idea of having a creative life. Right. And, you know, us kind of, I like being a curate, curator of artistic ideas. And, and so that's kind of our new 
our new um and the other thing about art man which people don't realize is that you don't have to be yourself per se with every art thing like that can be a part that's imagined it doesn't have to be dave right. all the time right. or pete all the time i think and and if you think of cultures in africa or other where they're wearing masks or they're becoming stuff it's like these characters and stuff can begin to exist and i i do think that that um supports a, a healthy creativity because you're then saying i can inhabit this kind of sound or, or or image it's also your imagination right so even if you're imagining someone else's perspective it's still to some degree part of you even though you're taking yourself out of it yeah and like you probably learn more about yourself doing that but but so so the collective is kind of just like it's it's like your guys's extension into all these different fields and doing like art together yeah and also um making records with all sorts of people yeah yeah that's that's really the the main idea behind it and, and hoping sometime to bring dragon crest collective maybe to a certain town and we would have maybe art and the music would be something that people would expect and be like, Oh, cool. You know, that's just a dragon crest collective event. Um, so that's definitely part of it. And, you know, probably just because Katie, I love, um, singing and, 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 and working on visual stuff. And, and Katie does a lot of, beautiful art and, and painting and drawing. And she put together that album cover for humble down. We went down to the beach and yeah. that's this new, new old truck we took and the dogs were in the front. Seat. That's awesome. Then a graphic designer helped put one of her paintings in it and, and put the sunglasses on the dogs. <laughs> the image, so, the album covers for that and sun fuzz, there's this, there's a style to it and it really, it looks very visually appealing. So you guys are definitely yeah, doing a really yeah. good job with it. Oh, thank you. You know, I love funk music. Funk music always felt to be so inclusive, like black and white or whoever right. you are, and be like, get funky and dance. And right. And so, you know, Bootsy Collins, I'm kind of wearing his glasses, yeah, but I just yeah. love, I love that look. And the the, and the tunes on Sun Fuzz, I know we haven't really talked about Humble Down or Sun Fuzz, so I think now's the time to do that. But I got the advance of Sun Fuzz and like, the first track kicks like it comes in with the funk it lives up to the cover i was like oh shit because like the last one's like this beautiful or humble down's like this beautiful reflective like acoustic record and you and katie's harmonies are so good and like the song the narrative you're telling with which you know with the the tunes it's like it's like a and b you know what i mean it goes from like a very chill vibe wild, to right? like this psychedelic like parliament Jimi hendrix like like the, the the scream on uh let the lion out of the cage is like punk as fuck you know what i mean like it, it's a really diverse collection of songs which is awesome and yeah like, you just, know is it, i tried to make it all one record and then i'm like this has got to be two eps they do not go together um, <laughs> but that was that was great, man. I, I worked some of those songs I wrote five years ago. Yeah. 
some and yep, humble down. That was a friend of mine's lyrics. He wrote the lyrics for Humble Down, and I put the arrangement together. The song Give Me Some Lovin', I wrote the chords and the, the hook, but another friend of mine wrote the verse lyrics. So this has brought some more collaboration than, particularly with lyrics, than I was used to. Yeah. Um, but that that's really, that's fun. Because, you know, I mean... It goes into everything we were saying Think of like, before. you know, Elton yeah. John and... Sorry, and his, <laughs> you that co-writer, and um, and then the Grateful Dead and their writing. So, what about "Can't Go On"? Was that just a solo? Was that just you, or did you "Can't have a... Go On"? That that was I wrote that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I wrote "If I Break," um, and I wrote that one. I forgot. I, I'm in love with you. Um. Forget what that phone's called. All what else can I do? Right. Okay. It was a well. It's interesting, kind of, to look at the two EPs together and like can't go on, right? And then you have uh, the world goes on, even though they're first and second tracks. Uh, yeah. With the, so like with Sun Fuzz, was that more of a? So you had those tunes working like for a while, but the, yeah, the composition yeah. of those, like how each one song, like how it goes through so many different like instrumental like approaches right and hits so many different things to like to foresee that before doing it i don't i don't know like it, 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 it is that how it happened or was it kind of like i don't think i really foresaw it okay. you know i i the the um the song in the world goes on the lyrics were written by a friend of mine named Jay swag general he's a rapper and I was like, man, you know, I think you, you've like had kind of an intense childhood. Like, why don't you send me some lyrics about your your life? And and he wrote these lyrics, and I thought they were excellent. And I do always keep a lot of recordings in my iPhone, and I had one, and the world goes on like that in my yeah. iPhone. And and I said, um, why don't we do this sort of bum 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 the rap, you know that? Yeah. And then. And then I thought, oh, I want to put like a kid rock chorus <laughs> in it, you know? Yeah. Um, and then whatever right. it is. It just gets rocking. Yeah, yeah, it gets rocking. <laughs> so. This kind of comes back to us like, yeah, let's. Let's be creative. Let's try. And I, I think early days in Dispatch, if you look at Open Up, these were songs that didn't like, what kind of song form is that? Right. Um, and it was a bit of piecing things together. But this record, I did I did really put the rock and funk and rap ones on one record and the folk ones on another. Um, probably simply because... I, I love all that kind of music. I mean, yeah, well, it, I love folk to funk to rap to soul. Like I love it all. It blends together really good as two two sets like that. Like because the yeah, songs yeah. on, on Sun Fuzz fit really well together, almost to the right. point where I, they I, seem like it's a through line. Like it seems like it's uh, like a, if you're looking at a whole concept. Because I, I spun that one a lot when I got the advance. I'm like what the? Because listening to the one that just humbled down that came out, I'm like okay. 
It's this is so A the B, which is so badass. Are you drawn to one EP over the other? No, I like them both. Yeah, you feel it. Yeah, yeah. because uh, but uh, that's kind of like because I I did a, a, a approached it like before really diving into really listening to both those two EPs. I listened to everything up until that to be able to talk about everything and have like a have a fresh perspective and like. It makes sense, like just following your solo career up to the point and not not even thinking about the spatch stuff. But like even if you include that, too, it makes it's like the highest level of like um, that, that funk tune off. Who are we living for? You know, what I mean, like is sun like <laughs> because yeah, <laughs> the, all the movements and all the like the the vote quarter and shit getting into some zap style things like it's so rad. Um, so the hear it oh, all come you, out man. like it's it's really really a fucking rad record. So I appreciate it, man. Oh, well, it's a real pleasure speaking with you today. Oh yeah, yeah. And hey, thank you um, so much for chatting with me for like two hours. This was oh yeah. Well, we had a we had a great time, and I think you know I really appreciate the love for my music, and it means a lot for for me as an artist and. Um, and I think that we touched a lot on kind of deeper parts of, you know, creativity and um, being a creative child. And, right. And, um, which I think is really good. And I hope that people are able to to have these conversations. Same. Because we're having it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think we're having it. And and it's a and it's a beautiful thing, you know, because. Yeah. I think art and creativity are kind of the highest form of of hope, you know. I agree. I th- and it leads it leads to it. It leads to finding out how to do that. It does. Um, thank you for hanging out with me, Pete. This was fucking awesome. Oh, uh, you're the man, dude. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Pete. I'll send you some. All stuff. right, brother. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Later.